This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. everybody and welcome back to another episode of east screen west screen this is show number 43 for wednesday october 6th 2010 as always i am paul fox and joining me from somewhere between the harbor side and the lion rock is my good friend mr kevin ma hi everybody how's it going kev pretty good paul how about you oh not too bad not too bad busy as always um Mm -hmm. so you know what's been going on uh You've been entering the working world for a while now. How's 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 working life treating you? Have you fully adjusted from your student life? I don't know about fully adjusted. Um, as uh, fans who follow my writing can see, I've decreased my writing significantly. It's the ones that I I'm credited for. Um, I haven't had as much time to write reviews except for the uh, short, you know, 400, 500 word stuff that I write every week. And um, work's been crazy lately because um. My supervisor's on vacation, uh, so I've been taking on about 1.5 people's work instead of, you know, just usually me. Mm. So it's been kind of crazy. Yeah, that sounds like business as usual over at my job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm glad that I'm still getting the weekly practice, but um, my, my passion is still in writing films about, uh, or writing reviews about Asian films and Asian cinema, and um, I'm disappointed that I've disappointed people. Uh, uh, particularly uh, Kozo and and people who actually read my stuff, and of course myself, that I haven't gotten to write as much Asian films, um, which is why I'm trying to make up with the daily news stuff on Twitter, uh, with this podcast. Um, hopefully, I can remain uh, active in this stuff, and uh, hopefully, people will still want to know what I think. Yeah, well, uh, there are quite a few of us out there who still do. So, get to work. All right, sir. <laughs> All right, well, we are here to talk about films and among other things, and we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and sometimes lots of stuff in between. So this week, we're going to get to some news before we get to the one film that we'll be talking about. So let's jump into it. All right, for our first news item this week, uh, we've got a little bit of news about films here in Hong Kong, or some filming going on in Hong Kong, I guess. Uh, Kevin, you want to tell us a little bit about what's going on? Yes, I want to extend uh, a Concast uh, or East Green, West Green welcome to um, Mr. Steven Soderbergh, uh, who is shooting his latest film, Contagion, uh, here in Hong Kong. I believe he's in town um, for a three-week shoot. Uh, the film stars uh, Matt Damon, uh, Jude Law, Kate Winslet, uh, Marion Cotillard, 
the French woman who played Edith, Edith Piaf. Um, they, of course, they also casted local actress uh, Josie Ho, uh, and they've been shooting in Hong Kong for the past two weeks until next week. Um, last I heard, they were they, they have a very uh, close set. Um, they were shooting at the Asia Expo Center near the airport for a while, and um, I was um, invited, or they, they extended a casting call for extras, um, for the shoot on Monday, where they converted the jumbo into a casino, um, sounds like a pretty big shoot. Um, the production company that uh, also helped on the shoot of the Dark Knight and Push is, is, is responsible for this one, um, and I am looking forward to see how Mr. Soderbergh uh, takes on Hong Kong. Um, that's one. That's pretty much the bigger production. Uh, also, I believe starting next week or it started already. I'm not sure. Uh, the sequel to uh, Johnny English will be shooting in Hong Kong as well, um, due to the story having to do with the um, uh, the main character played by uh, Rowan Atkinson, uh, best known for playing Mr. Bean. He the whole story revolves him around uh, saving the Chinese premier from uh, assassination. So I think that movie will have a more extensive shoot here in Hong Kong. Um, so yeah, Hollywood or, or I guess Western filmmakers uh, now using Hong Kong as a major destination, uh, and I would like to welcome them. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, enjoy the town. Yeah, it's good. Uh, good news investment-wise. I mean, Hong Kong's economy can show, certainly use a little bit of boost that that will bring. Um, I'm a bit curious about the Contagion plot. Is that going to be like a sort of a uh, you know an outbreak or an Andromeda strain type of storyline based on the title? And, you know, are, are we likely to see people dressed up as, like, plague victims or bio-zombies or something wandering around the streets of Hong Kong at some point in the near future? Yeah, from what I've read so far, it's, it definitely sounds like an outbreak kind of film, even though Josie Ho, because um, she was interviewed about the shoot, although she can't say anything, except she clarified that the movie is not about SARS, even though uh, they're shooting in Hong Kong. However, from what I've read, it is it does seem to be about some kind of plague. Um, it is a pretty international shoot, um, so I would... Um, I'm hoping that we better an outbreak. I'm a little surprised that uh, Mr. Soderbergh would take on a film like this, but uh, it should be interesting. Yeah. I'm also a little bit surprised at the casting. I mean... I think the the choice of Josie Ho is great. I thought she was great in Dream Home, and you know I've liked her in a lot of other stuff, including, you know, uh, the Horror Hotline. But um, it, it seems to me that the cast is still, you know, for taking place in Hong Kong, it seems like they would have gotten a couple more local actors or Asian-based actors to uh, take up the headlines. It seems very um, Western-oriented. Obviously, it's a Western film, but I don't know. It seems a little bit heavily oriented for taking place in Hong Kong. What do you think about that? It, it seems like that, um, considering that they're only shooting here for about three weeks, I don't think uh, Hong Kong is going to take a very big part. Uh, when I read what I read in the newspaper today, um, Josie's scene was shot in Czech O, which was actually standing in for uh, a Chinese town, a, a town in uh, mainland China. Uh, and So it's, it doesn't sound like she has a big part in the film, nor will Hong Kong play a huge part in the film, although I am very, very curious to see what they do manage to shoot here in three weeks. Um, the Dark Knight shot here for about a week, I believe, but that only came out to about five minutes of screen time. So um, I, I, I'm pretty sure that it won't play a huge part in the film, 
but it does it does rouse my curiosity about what they're doing with the jumbo and, and what they're doing out in the Asia World Expo or what they're doing with the town in Shek O. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, like the Dark Knight, four of those five minutes were of Edison Chen footage that ended up getting cut, right? <laughs> <laughs> or blurred out, severely blurred out. Um, no, that's good, and I, I I really like Rowan Atkinson. So I'm, you know, I thought John English was an okay film. Uh, I'm not a, you know, I like Mr. Bean, and I know that you mentioned that's what he's most famous for, but I prefer his speaking humor. Uh, series that he did like uh, Black Adder Black is one Adder. of my favorite yeah. yeah um and so I'm really looking forward to this and I I, I hope that the Hong Kong it really has a stronger presence um and it sounds like it will based on what you said so yeah some things to look forward to so for our second bit of news this week we are looking at May Ah picking up the rights to uh the film Grandmaster um so this is the uh, Wong Kar Wai Ip Man film, if I understand my uh, my upcoming films correctly. And I guess Maya Entertainment is going to pick up some of the uh, territories and distribution rights for this film. Uh, do we need another Ip Man film? That's my real question with this story. Um, it's going to have some big stars, you know, Tony Lang and Zhang Ziyi, um, Chang Che. Um, but I don't know. I hasn't haven't we learned all we need to learn about Ip Man by this point? Well, well, to be fair, this is the the first Ip Man film. This movie, I believe, was announced before Raymond Wong did his Ip Man film. So, but you know, Wong Kar Wai just he just took a long time to finish it. So, so uh, all things all, all things fair, this this the Wong Kar Wai Grandmaster film was kind of here first. Um, the thing with Maya is that Maya is not a surprising choice. Um, Maya distributes um, or recently distributed again um, Fallen Angels and Chunking Express um, on Blu-ray. They also uh, released uh, In the Mood for Love and 2046. So also Arrows, of course. Um, so it's no surprise that Maya would get the rights to this one Karai film. And the good news with Maya is that their DVDs tend to come with or come in all region, uh, and there's usually less. Um, territorial issues uh, when it comes to getting the film overseas when the DVD comes out locally here in Hong Kong. So uh, that that's kind of good news. Uh, also, I think Maya is an uh, experienced company. I'm not sure if Maya is doing uh, theatrical distribution. I think the story says it's only video, right? Um, so I can't say anything about theatrical, but uh, Maya is a good and not a surprising choice for the video rights at all. And um, they also make very good DVDs. Um, I think in recent years, at least, not the not in the mood for love. That was a terrible DVD. I had I I had that one, um, but they 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 have done a good job on the new Chunking Express, uh, also on new Fallen Angels um, DVD. Though not I haven't seen the Blu-ray yet, so I don't know if it's as good. So yeah, I'm I'm glad that Mei is picking up the right again. And according to the article um, from Film Biz Asia, here it says that the film is scheduled for a 2011 Chinese New Year release. That's sometime in January, February, which seems like, I don't know, that seems a little bit unlike Wong Kar Wai style. I mean, he usually premieres his films at a European film festival of some sort. This seems like a little bit of a commercial step. Yeah, it is a pretty uh, high-budget film. Um, uh, the report says that it's um, it, was, it cost $10 million, and it came from mostly Hong Kong and Chinese sources. 
uh, unlike his past films like 2046, um, it, it had multiple fundings from multiple regions and therefore a more global, um, I guess, a gl- more global terms to satisfy. Um, this is a big commercial film, I guess, uh, especially since uh, It Man came out. So it, it makes sense for this film to to take on the competitive Lunar New Year market. Um, of course, some certain uh, people uh, in some circles would complain that you know there's no festival exposure. But I mean, let's re- let's let's face it, this one car why it will play at a festival. It just won't premiere at a festival. Um, you know, deal with it. It's a big commercial Chinese film, and that's the way it is. Yeah, and it stars Tony Leung, so. That's pretty much all you need for a Wong Kar Wai movie anymore, right? Wong right. Kar Wai, Tony Leung, and that's it. Yeah, and Leslie Chen, but uh, but that hasn't that's not going to happen. So yeah, uh, well, what, what what I expect to happen is we'll see uh, Tony Leung as you know Ip Man. He'll be sitting there sparring on his wooden man, and you know uh, Fei Wong will pop into the scene, smoke a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> run away i wonder what, i wonder what happened after the comedy humane uh Ch- you know made fun of that possibility of chapman toe doing his tony learn tony learn uh it man impression i wonder how people is go- are gonna look at or how tony learn will play this character yeah we'll have to wait and see all right our next bit of news this week um not really sure i guess this you know geographically would qualify as a east screen some people might classify it as West Screen, but we're talking a little bit about Australian cinema, uh, not something we hear too much about um, very often these days, at least here in Hong Kong. Um, but there's a new film called Tomorrow, When the War Began. It's already the biggest grossing Australian film of the year, um, and it's supposed to get a Hollywood release through Paramount and is looking to get release um, in Europe as well. I'm not sure if it's going to come to Hong Kong, but I'm kind of interested to see it. And basically, according to the article, it says the film is about a group of teens who find their country has been invaded, but choose to fight back. And it's based on a series of books written by John Marsden. To me, I mean, from from coming from my you know American Hollywood background, this sounds an awful lot like an old uh, 80s film called Red Dawn, um, which was somewhat of a, you know, uh, a hit film starring Patrick Swayze, and uh, they poked fun of it in the Hot Tub Time Machine a little bit. Um, and so I guess this is going to be sort of an updated Australian version, although I do know, I have heard they're doing a Red Dawn remake, only this time, instead of it being Russians, it's going to be uh, Chinese or, or Koreans. I, I can't remember which one. Asians. Asians are going to be the bad guy in the new Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. Um Except maybe not the Japanese, so it won't play well in China, I guess. Yeah, Japanese take over everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of curious to see to see what this is about. I, I was curious about this story until I just looked this up, and it says that this is a teen novel. Um, the film was written and directed by Stuart Betty, who um, kind of made a big debut um, with Collateral, uh, which starred Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx, the really cool um, taxi driver in L.A. movie. Um, of course, and then he went on to write movies like um, uh, one of the Pir- Pirates of the Caribbean movies and uh, 
and sadly G.I. Joe, which is not really known for his writing. But nevertheless, um, he really caught my attention with Collateral, and um, I'm interested to see um, how he takes on, you know, such well such a big material in his native land, and also how he take how he works as a director. Um, so I'm very interested to see how this film does, or whether it will come to Hong Kong or not. Yeah. All right, our fourth story this week, um, also coming from Film Biz Asia, is the news that Marco Mueller, artistic director for the Venice Film Festival and Film Scholar, is receiving a friendship award from China for his services to Chinese cinema. Um, he's, it says, the article says he's written scholarly articles on Chinese cinema and co-produced several films, including Zhang Yuan's Little Red Flowers, um, a film which I uh, have not seen as of yet. Um, what do you think about this news? Is this a uh, big news, big award up there with the Nobel? <laughs> um, I don't think it's uh, uh, up with, you know, the chemistry award of Nobel Prize. Um, but, you know, it's something to be expected. Margaret Mueller has been a champion of Chinese cinema. Uh, he has brought many um, Chinese films, I guess, to the Venice Film Festival in the uh, recent years, including, as I mentioned on Twitter today, he's the one who brought Legend of the Fist to be the opening night movie of the Venice Film Festival. Um, so these are kind of... Um, I guess, uh, baffling choices, uh, knowing, including Detective D in the competition. Um, we'll talk about Detective D later. It's a fine film. It's a good film, but it's not a film festival film. It's obviously brought in because of Mr. Mueller's um, uh, love for Chinese cinema. Um, you know, good for him for getting, uh, for getting recognized for being a champion of Chinese cinema, but um, I don't know if it justifies the kind of odd choices he's brought to the Venice Film Festival in the past years. Yeah. Um, and in the article, he, he says, the vitality of Chinese film no longer needs confirmation. Even the casual spectator who happened by chance to view the final rebounds of the great martial arts cinema can clearly see why a plastics... Can clearly see why. He says, a plastic sense that is constantly regenerated, stylistic elements that remain personal, aesthetic experimentation that never wanes. Um, if he was talking specifically about Hong Kong cinema, yeah, I would agree with that statement. Um, mm -hmm. I have a hard time applying a lot of what he's saying there to Chinese film. And I know that this is sort of the big question that, well, what is Chinese film? Is Taiwanese film included in that? Is Tibetan film included in that? Is that, is it all encompassing? Is it both mainland cinema and Hong Kong cinema? Um, I mean, and, and we'll talk about this. I mean, Legends of the Fist is... Is a little bit like this. We we could go back and talk about films like, you know, Hero or House of Flying Daggers, um, even Inspector D is or Detective D. I keep calling it Inspector D. I have this <laughs> this problem. I'll mention that little that a little bit more later. But um, you know, there's there's a lot of co-productions and merging going on now. But I mean, for the longest time, uh, Chinese cinema was a completely different kind of aesthetic from Hong Kong cinema. So. That's still a question that's very much stuck in my mind, and I don't know how to answer it. I mean, are they two different cinemas? Have they merged to become one? Or do they remain two different cinemas? I think Mr. Muir seems to be a very knowledgeable academic. Um, he, he obviously knows how to write uh, about films. Um, but I think, like many film scholars, he doesn't quite understand the market or quite understand the... 
certain social, commercial, or cultural context of some of these films. For example, um, the possible racial... Um, I don't know, the, 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 the way that these films could be perceived in its native market. For example, Detective D, festival movie, uh, Legend of the Fist, you know, opening film of a major, you know, one of the three biggest world, uh, one of the three biggest film festivals of the world. Um, again, he, obviously, he, you know, he, he's always very passionate about, about Chinese cinema, and um, I'm sure Chinese filmmakers and uh, Chinese film industry is very thankful for that. Um, but uh, and of course, he deserves such you know award like the friendship award, um, but yeah, I don't know again if that justifies really, or, or that justifies his choices or what to bring. Uh, for example, Trey Hark uh, has been kind of in a slump for the past ten years, but I think the reason he chose Detective D was not because of the subject matter; it's because of the name Trey Hark, or or you know he chose Legend of the Fist because it's uh, based on a Bruce Lee character, not because it's Donnie, not because Andrew Lau. Um, so I'm kind of conflicted about Mr. Mueller getting this award. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to take the award away from him. I mean, anybody who goes out and promotes Asian cinema abroad and, you know, uh, uses those cultural connections and brings further understanding of the cinema and promotes the cinema, it, it is good in my book, right? Certainly, um, certainly. Because I remember a time when, you know, the only way you could get access to stuff at all was through bootleg copies, you know, here or there or via the internet and stuff. So I think that from the promotional aspect, yeah, I, I think he, he certainly deserves the award. I mean, any festival, the choices that are made in any festival can are subject to criticism from various sectors, you know, based on all different, you know, it's like art. It's, you know, some people are going to like what you've picked and some people aren't. Um, I'm just very curious as to, you know, I'd really like to know more about how he defines Chinese film. Is is everything lumped together? Is, you know, or is it separated? And how is it separated? Because that's still very much a question in my mind that I have a very difficult time answering. All right, our final bit of news this week is about the Hong Kong Asian Film Festival. Uh, Kevin, you have some things you want to tell us about that? Yay! It's my favorite time of the year, uh, or at least one of my two favorite times of the year. The other one being the Hong Kong International Film Festival. This is the Hong Kong Asian Film Festival. Uh, I'm a little more passionate about Hong Kong Asian Film Festival because um, there's a lot more films I want to see um, because it's all Asian films. And I'm especially invested into this year's lineup because um, we editorial uh, team of Yes Asia uh, worked on the catalog. So, uh, including myself, so we wrote, uh, me and uh, other fine editors at Yes Asia, we wrote a lot of the stuff in the catalog. So, um, I know this year's lineup better than any other years. Um, this year, a very strong uh, local lineup. Uh, both opening and closing films are Chinese language films. Um, both opening films are Hong Kong films. Um, one is Lover's Discourse, the, director, the directorial debut of um, Derek, son of Eric Zhang. And Jimmy Wang, they're the two of the three screenwriters uh, for director Pan Ho Chern on Isabella and uh, Dream Home, uh, at least those two films. So this is their directorial debut, and uh, from what I've heard, it's a great film. I'm uh, very much looking forward to see it. The other film, uh, a little iffy about, but also uh, fairly excited, is Revenge, A Love Story. This is the first film by Wong Ching Po since Aso. Uh, he also made kind of a controversial uh 
debut uh, with Jiang Hu. Um, this is um, the first, I guess, film film that is done behind the scenes uh, by pop star Juno Mack. Uh, it also stars uh, a very famous uh, Japanese adult film actress, Soda Aoi. Um, and the, 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 the details are a little iffy, as you can see by description. But I believe it, it looks like it's something about a serial killer and it's going to be very bloody. It's the second film by Josie Ho's production company after Dream Home. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, closing films will be um, Merry Go Round, the latest film by Butterfly director Yen uh, Yen Mack and uh, Gallon's uh, co-director Clement Chen. Um, it's, it was made for uh, the 140th anniversary of a local charity organization, uh, Tonghua. Um, and some very short trailers have made it online, and it looks fairly good. And also stars very legendary act- actors. Um, you got Laura Mao, you got uh, Susan Shaw, uh, Siu Yum Yum, and also Teddy Robin leading the cast. The other closing film is Zhang Yimou's latest film, which we talked about last week, Under the Hawthorn Tree. Um, for the other picks, uh, I suggest you look. Everyone look at uh, hkaff.asia and look at uh, the hard work that um, the Yes Asia editors have put in to to bring these films to Hong Kong. Um, and if you're in Hong Kong, hope you find a few films that you're interested in. Um, Paul, have you, have you had a chance to look at the program? I've looked at the program, and I've seen that I'm not going to have any time to get out to the program. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've already picked, uh, I believe, 30 films so far. Uh, so far. I'm jealous. It's going to be quite an intense envious. schedule. Yeah. Um, this year we have a, a retrospective on uh, anime, anime director Satoshi Kon, which we talked about a few weeks ago, um, along with our guest, uh, Kozo, and the other one being cinematographer Mark Lee, um, who worked with Ho Shaoxian and Wong Kar Wai. So, Kevin, what's our film this week? We just have one film, uh, but I think it's a pretty good one. Yes, I think we'll spend quite a bit of time on this one. It's um latest film by Trey Hark, uh, Detective D and the Mystery of the Phantom Flame. Now I have I got to say right off the bat, I've been having trouble with this. First, it's a super long title, and mm-hmm. I keep calling him Inspector D. And I, I, the only thing I can figure is that, you know, it's I've got to hook up on Inspector Gadget or something. And I don't know why I can't get the name right. For some reason, Detective D. I got to remember Double D, but then my mind starts wandering, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if uh, <laughs> the filmmaker should have invented like a DD icon, uh, like like a superhero film. But I don't know. I think I think you might have, um, I guess, thought of certain um, parallels of Sherlock Holmes, maybe. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much like a Sherlock Holmes in China type of film. Um, I don't know. I'm not. I've been telling stories for these for for films for a couple of weeks now. So, Paul, would you mind doing the honors and talk right, about the well, simple plot? Yeah, I'll, I'll 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 get into it simply. Basically, this is a story that takes place um, during the Tang Dynasty period in China, which was, you know, one of the better and and uh, high points of uh, the the various dynasties. Um, during the Tang Dynasty, Chinese culture was 
bring spread far and wide and you know other people other places in asia were very envious of chinese culture at the time um one of the one of the rulers during this period um the emperor i can't remember his name uh he passed away and his wife the empress wu decided that she was going to um basically start her own dynasty that is she wasn't going to rule as an empress dowager uh which was sort of what happened in the in the Qing dynasty but she was going to ascend to the throne officially and rule as an emperor um, and and start her own dynastic lineage this is a very controversial thing to do for the period because of you know issues of confucianism and patriarchy and a lot of stuff that we don't really need to get into for the context of the film but some really interesting stuff and and for a number of years she was criticized afterward by confucian scholars and critics and then later you know hundred you know some hundreds of years after her reign people looked back and they started to rethink a lot of what they thought a lot of the negativity because they feel she really brought some p positive things to the period um so this is sort of the the era in which this story is set and basically um just prior to her ascending to become the emperor of the, the first female emperor basically she's still an empress according to english grammar but um officially she's she's taking the throne and it's not going to be her children who are ruling things um so that it's really split you know there are groups that support her and there are groups that are against her because of these you know these these traditional reasons and during this time uh there's a huge she's having a huge statue of uh, guanyin built uh, just outside of her palace and people who are involved with the building of the statue start spontaneously combusting um unexplainedly and she decides that these are bad omens and need, these need you know she wants someone to figure out what's going on so she calls upon uh the former inspector d who's since been locked away in prison because he was against her uh, ascending to the throne her taking power so he's been in prison for a number of years she brings him out of prison restores his post to him and asks him to solve the mystery so this sets up you know the basic plot like kevin was said it was very it's very much you know sort of a sherlock holmes style thing um but it's classic soy heart that's the thing I really like about it. Um, it's got a very good backstory between, you know, the, the you, you know that there's this history between the Empress, who's played, uh, I think, magnis magnificently by Karina Lau, um, and Andy Lau as de Detective D. He's, he's really great in his role, uh, sort of like classic Andy, but it really works well here. Uh, and there's just enough revealed of the backstory between the two of them that, you know, you're, you're left wanting more. Um, the rest of the cast is great. You know, Li Bing Li Bingbing is uh, sort of the handmaiden of the Empress, and she's also, um, you know, tough as nails as well. In in a sense, it's kind of like, you know, if you were to equate it to modern day, uh, you know, modern day television shows or modern day day entertainment, it's a little bit like CSI, but set in Chang'an, which is uh, the capital during this period. Um, it rides a line between sort of Chinese mysticism and science. So, you know, there's all this, all these mystical things happening 
and in, you know, Detective D goes around trying to root away the mysticism and, and prove things through science. And it rides this line between, you know, what's magic, what's science, um, how are some of these things done? So it's got a little bit of a feel like a show like Monk or X-Files or Fringe, um, if you're familiar with some of those programs. Um, there's a lot of CGI because this is a period piece and because it's got that stylistic element that Soy Hark brings to his films. Um, it tends to be a little bit off in places, um, but I think there's nothing that really takes away from the film. It just feels a whole lot like classic Soy Hark. Um, you know, think back to Chinese Ghost Story 3 or the original Zoo, Warriors from the Magic Mountain or Swordsman. That was the feeling The feeling I had when I used to, was watching those films. I had watching this film. And I remember tweeting that I haven't felt, I haven't had that feeling for a long time. I haven't really just sat down and thoroughly enjoyed watching something so much and felt a sense of nostalgia um, without having like watched, watched an old DVD that I haven't seen for years. Um, so I haven't felt that way in a long time sitting in the cinema. So I was really, really happy. I had a great time. Uh, I think the people that, you know, we ended up watching it with all pretty much enjoyed the film. I'd say if you really love old Soy Hark films, that it's pretty much a guarantee that you'll enjoy this movie. Um, and I, I want a sequel. I, I, I want one now. Uh, I, I don't want to wait, you know. And it's ripe for a sequel, so. Kevin, what did you think? I mean. I I, I think I shared a similar opinion. Um, the thing is, I'm glad you did the, did the whole background because I know obviously a lot less than you do and but it was fine i i didn't need this background um not that not that i didn't appreciate it paul um i didn't need to know the background to enjoy the film i understood the story which is you know it's very simple it's about you know an empress who is about to take the throne and there's a threat and she needs someone to solve the crime before she takes the throne it's a very simple story and that's great um i'm glad that it's a very straightforward detective procedural thing and you know because it allows Trey Hart to to work within that genre frame um it's it's very straight like I said very straightforward there's no mess uh it doesn't go all over the place it doesn't you know it doesn't go crazy like uh, Trey Hart has done in the last 10 years there's a, a very good uh balance between the old Trey Hart and the new and the and the old Trey Hart uh that I say old twice uh the old Trey Hart and the new Trey Hart um you know, back then he still used uh, practical effects, and um, and he was just as crazy then. But at least they looked convincing, even though you know you know they were effects. Um, but in uh, in the last ten years, he's kind of had this reliance on com- uh, computer generated effects, and some of that show up here. But I'm glad that he also went with a lot of practical effects. Particularly, I remember um, there's a scene in the underground goes bizarre, and um, there's this whole sequence where boats or pieces of wood start flying up. And I'm so glad they went with real flying wood uh, in that scene because you know it looked it didn't have to look convincing. It was just um, a period action film. It didn't as long as it looked like it was actually done on set. I, I was very very happy with it. Yeah. Um. Well, with that said, yeah, you're right. Um, some of the CGI do look off. Uh, there's a particular sequence uh, involving uh, jumping animals that uh, I said to the guy to my neighbor uh, as we're watching the film. I said in the '90s. Sure, how could I use real the real animals to do the stunts instead of the computer? Computer, no, computer I think, I think what they ones. would have used is they would have used a guy in a suit. 
<laughs> and that would be great, you know. He would have used different camera tricks to make it look convincing or to make it look crazier. And and um, you know, I'm just glad that he kind of brought half of that back. Um, as for, as as for the cast, Karina was great. Uh, she really had that oomph as as the Empress. Uh, Li Bingbing was great. Was fine. Um, Din Chao, who played the albino, I guess eunuch, uh, was was also good. Andy Lau didn't need to be any better than Andy Lau because uh, he's a straight character, and usually, you know, the detective character usually doesn't really have to do anything other than, you know, detecting or investigating. And you know, Andy Lau is fine as the role, although I could have. Uh, he he was he's one of the few you know Hong Kong actors who would take on a role like this. Um, I mean, the other being Tony Leung, uh, Leung Chiu Wai, not not Leung Ka Fei, uh, who's also in the film, by the way. Um, I was afraid that. Um, it would it would it would be really energetic Trey Hart trying to throw a lot of stuff at you at a very short time and the film would be very long especially it's, it's at two two hours right now 123 minutes but right now uh, the film is very entertaining and it and it rolled at a very solid pace um, it didn't really slow down much nor did it speed up too much it's it, it's a very you know very steady film uh, it felt fine the length uh, and even though there's a very big mainland aimed Chinese production, um, it didn't feel like it. Um, it felt, most of it, for most of it, it felt like, you know, kind of stepping that line, you know, um, using Chinese, big mainland Chinese resources, but to make a Hong Kong spirit film. And that's what I liked about it. Except for the ending, I guess we should talk about a little bit in the spoiler section. Um, and, and uh, but it does have that kind of mainland influence. Uh, the, the Scooby-Doo-like story, um, you know, the whole thing about, you know, disproving the supernatural. Um, even though I know that it's kind of like a uh, mainland, I guess, censorship thing, I thought it was fine because that's the way the, the whole story was set up. Uh, that's the whole um, kind of the motivation is to disprove or is to find the perpetrator. Uh, so we know that it's not just simply a supernatural thing because then the movie will be over pretty quickly. Um I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I quite enjoyed it. I don't know if I would sit for it again, like you, like you said you wanted to earlier this week. Um, it do, it is still, it does still get kind of uh, exhausting in the middle because of the extended sequences. Uh, some of these action sequences do go quite long, but um, this is definitely a Blu-ray purchase for me, and I would, you know, I would definitely revisit it someday again, and I wouldn't mind doing it again after that too. Yeah, I'd say um, if there was, if there were any really big drawbacks for me um the first would the first would be the sound um i i know that some of the people we watched it with said that they didn't have a problem with the sound because the you know the, the narrative just drew them in it's still a film that's everything's done in post um you know you've got different actors speaking different dialogues some people are acting in cantonese some people are acting in mandarin um and so all the all the like a lot of them did their own voices. You know, I could tell it was uh, Karina Lau doing her voice, but it was post-dubbed, and it just uh, it just doesn't sound good when it's post-dubbed, and that kind of irked me a little bit. Um, I, I was still able to get beyond it, though. I just really wish that, you know, the, these directors, I mean, especially Soy Hark, you'd think that by now he would be paying more attention to sound, um, and they, they, would, they would just either have everybody do their dialogue as natural you know, or let them try and hash it out, 
you know, in one or the other languages. And and yeah, uh, th- this is just a pet peeve of mine. So I'm I'm a bit too picky. The thing with sound is that it's it's a very um, I guess I worked on. I mean, we both worked on films before. Um, and you know, in Hong, I was shooting in Hong Kong. Or I think they were shooting a studio. Is that they expect to have multiple language versions. They know that Hong Kong's going to get a Cantonese version, the rest, uh, and China's going to get a Mandarin version. And the thing is, no matter how good Mandarin, uh, certain Hong Kong stars speak Mandarin, they will always be dubbed because um, because there is a uh, a need by movie companies to get perfect sounding Mandarin. So I'm actually glad that at least they got the original stars to dub their own voices. It's the only way we could hear the original stars' voices because uh, Andy Lau, um, actually I think maybe Andy Lau is the only one because Karina speaks uh, fluent Mandarin. Um, at least Andy Lau would have been dubbed by someone else, uh, as he always has been, even though they do get someone that sounds similar to Andy Lau. Uh, also several Hong Kong actors like Teddy Robin or uh, uh, Richard Ng, who we see the trailer, they would have been dubbed as well. So I, I, at least I'm glad that um, they found the original actors to dub their own voices. And um, as far as sound goes, um, Trey Hark has, I think, almost never shot uh, sync sound. Uh, very rarely. Uh, I think several of the 90s film in Hong Kong, he might have. But um, it just kind of helps him speed up the process to not worry about sound on set. Do not worry about sync sound. Um, if you watch this as a nostalgic kind of an 80s, 90s film, it's uh, something that you can't used to. But, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, sound, post, post-production sound is something that has played Hong Kong and Chinese cinema for the last few years. And um, it's nothing new. It's just another, another film that has bad sound. Yeah. I think that the other thing is some of the shots, um, the lighting and the color... Um, there just wasn't as much attention to detail as I would have liked for this film. This film seemed like it needed to be a little bit more cinematography, a little bit more emphasis on the cinematography. I mean, it had good cinematography, but something there wanted me to have, wanted me to have it have great cinematography. I mean, because they had some really nice sets and, um, you know, they had some really interesting, interesting areas that they were filming at. And it just, I don't know, I, it, it it like I said, it has that look and feel of some of the '80s and '90s stuff, um, and you know, Soy Hark has never been one for having you know lots of vibrant colors and a, you know a rich cinematic tapestry, if you will. But I would have really liked to have seen a little bit more attention in the film. It, it's not something that ruins the film at all. It's just you know a, a little bit of a nitpick of mine. Oh, definitely. Um, I think. Trey Hark has been shooting on digital since at least missing. Um, and he shot on digital again, except he's working with the uh, the Red One camera, which um, is a digital ca- digital video camera, but it offers uh, film-like resolution. Um, obviously, it didn't offer the film look because uh, some of the action scenes did look very digital video-like. Um, but the Red One technology is still something that's been... Um, Developed is still kind of a new thing that filmmakers, especially those in Hong Kong and China, still trying to figure out. Um, with that said, um, this did look better than you know, Missing. Uh, I'm not sure what he shot all about Woman on, but th- this did look better than Missing, which he shot on high definition, um, even though it's not perfect. Um, yeah, like you said, I would like to see even nicer cinematography because it would have matched this, the the scale of the film. 
but uh, I'm fairly happy what we have here. I mean, it's kind of old school, unrealistic lighting, but it, at points it kind of felt like the cinematographer um, was not used to shooting on the red one, and some of the uh, some of the stuff that was meant to look good on film kind of came out looking like digital. All right, let's talk about some West Screen news. Um, not a lot of West Screen news this week, and we don't have a West Screen film to talk about, but there's one thing that we do need to talk about, and that's the Facebook movie. So the Facebook movie has been all the rage. It has uh, hit number one at the box office. Um, what, what do you think about this, Kevin? You you excited to see the Facebook movie? I'm very excited to see the Facebook movie. Uh, the Social Network, yeah. It's, it's directed by... When I read about this, I was like, no, no. And then I saw um, Aaron Sorkin, who wrote... Um, uh, a few good men who wrote uh, West Wing, uh, Sports Night, a uh, favorite of mine, a very underrated show. Um, one of my favorite writers, you know, him writing the thing. I said, wait, wait a minute, this this might be okay. And then David Fincher signed on, and then I started getting excited about this film. And I saw the trailers, and it actually looked better than it has any right to. And um, it seems like the reviews are confirming that. Um, it's now a, a Oscar frontrunner. Um, and audiences have even even though it doesn't have a big star cast, um, people responded, and uh, I think some of them are actually seeing it beyond this being the Facebook movie. Um, so I'm glad a, a film, you know, a talky drama about you know college students, you know, taking number one at box office. Um, an Aaron Sorkin film being a hit that's always a good thing in my book. Uh, how about you, Paul? I mean, the movie opens in, uh, I think, mid-November here in Hong Kong. Are you looking forward to it? Or do you no, want to see mean, it? No, I mean, I'm not a Facebook user. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I'm, you know, I'm I'm definitely interested to see it in part because of uh, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, um, who was in Zombieland, which I really, really liked. Um but you know, I'm the, the the whole Facebook story. I don't know. It's just not that interesting. I, one of the one of the critics over on uh, Rotten Tomatoes says that the underlying message in the in the film seems to be that if these guys got laid more, uh, we would never have had innovations like Napster and Facebook. Um, in part because you know the the whole concept behind Facebook was that they were in college and they were trying to meet girls, and so they set up you know, the, the, this this thing as a way to meet girls, and it took off, and they're billionaires now, which is great. I mean, kudos to them. Um, but from what everybody's... To, to me, that doesn't sound like that interesting of, of a movie. But from what everybody's saying, the performances are really strong, the narrative is really strong, and it's really worth seeing. So I'm sure I'm going to get out and see it at some point. I, I, I don't think I'll rush out and see it the very first day, um, but I am intrigued now because of all the positive reviews that have been coming out about it what what seems to be jumping out at me by the, what the critics are saying is that this film is not 
it is about Facebook, but at the same time, it's not about Facebook. Um, even the older Oscar Oscar voters um, who who don't use Facebook, obviously, they even they've responded as something else entirely, as as a film about uh, uh, morals, about about friendship, about betrayal. They they seem to be able to see beyond the 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 the, the external gimmick of this being the quote unquote Facebook movie. So that's something I, I look forward to see how. Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher, they take this gimmick and they make something more and they make it something that's, in, that's actually an important film, something that's uh, a film that says something. That's something I really look forward to seeing. All right. I think that's going to about wrap things up for our main section this week. Um, again, we don't have a West Screen film to talk about this week, but we hope to have one in the very near future. Uh, I do know that uh, the... French film, um, The Adventures of uh, Adele. Adele Blanceau is uh, very nice. <laughs> is uh, is coming, and I'm very excited to see that. Um, anything else on the horizon that you can think about for West yeah. Screen? Next Thursday, uh, well, this Thursday we have uh, Broken's Finest, and uh, which stars uh, Richard Gere, uh, Ethan Hawke, and Don Cheadle. Um, uh, as uh, as kind of like a crash taking place in Brooklyn about cops, bad cops, uh, directed by the um, director of Training Day, Antoine Fuqua. I've seen this film. I will be reviewing it this week. It's an okay film. Um, I don't think it's a particularly strong film, but I think it's an okay film. Um, also, we have uh, Adam Sandler's uh, Grown Ups, uh, which I also will Terrible. have to watch. Yeah, I'm not really lo- I'm not really looking forward to it, but I will have to watch it. Uh, so we're going to talk about one of the two. Next week, uh, very strong, very, very strong, very, very good Japanese film called Confessions uh, from director uh, Tetsuya Nakashima, who did um, Kamikaze Girls and uh, Memories of Matsuko. Uh, it's his latest film, and uh, I believe I mentioned this before. It's a very, very, very good film, a very powerful film, uh, a, a film that's equivalent of a punch in the gut. Uh, I love this film, and I watch it again when it comes out in theaters. And I hope that um, maybe we'll talk about it in two weeks from now. Um, West Green. Let's see what else is coming. Um, sorry, give me a second. Are we getting like Saw two hundred? No, I'm sorry. Uh, something even better. We're getting uh, Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> sorry, oh. Julia Roberts. Oh, the uh, horror! Oh, the horror! That's coming on the fourteenth. <laughs> Um, the same day as uh, Confessions. Uh, also, we have Zack's 300 Snyders uh, making his first family film. Uh, that's The Legend of the Guardian. Um, oh, yeah, I've, heard, wise, I've heard good things about that, too. Yes, and that will be coming on IMAX. Um, East Green Wise, we'll have the Pang Brothers new horror, 3D horror film. But, of course, this week, we'll be getting uh, Michelle Yeoh and uh, another big-name Korean actor in uh, Reign of Assassins. All right. Got a couple comments from our last episode. Um, Gary Lau writes in that he's heard that Edison Chen was in talks with the original cast and crew of Initial D for a possible sequel. We were talking a little bit about Initial D last time. Um, Kevin, you've heard anything about this? I've I've not picked up on anything as yet. I guess it's possible Edison Chen is trying to sort of make a comeback. Yeah, uh, I've heard that. I've read that Essen Chan has now uh, an art installation in Singapore. I'm not even making it. Jo- I'm not even joking. This is for real. He has a art installation exhibition uh, 
happening right now in Singapore is also aiming to be uh, to give a I think to be in a concert. I'm not sure if it's a solo concert uh, come next month or this month in Shanghai. I don't think uh, Initial D sequel though. I don't think that's very likely because one Initial D one was a very expensive film, and I'm not sure how much money it made. It made it did pretty well in Hong Kong, but a film about illegal racing will never become a co-production with China. So that kind of takes away the chance for a sequel. Um, however, I wouldn't be surprised if as Mr. Chen um, comes back as an actor um, within the next few years. Um, like Kozo said, I'm not sure when his photography career will continue, though. All right. Oh, we also got a comment from David Harris uh, talking about the Star Wars Blu-rays. He says they are going to be the 90s fiddled with versions. Those were the sort of the 90s um, remasters, I guess you'd call them. Where Rito Luke, shoots first. Yeah, where Lucas went in and changed a lot of things. And uh, for some of us traditionalists, we still prefer the original versions as opposed to the fancy effects. Um, but apparently these are what's going to be released on the Blu-rays and we, you won't have the option of either or, which I was kind of hoping for. But, uh, Kevin, I think you said that, yeah, you can confirm this, that the original theatrical versions are sort of dead and buried unless you happen to have a copy on Laserdisc or some older media form. Yeah, I think my B, my VHS copies are the special editions. I think the official, uh, stance of Lucasfilm is that those original editions will never be seen again. Yes, which is a very sad thing coming from a fan who watched the original versions in the sorry the nineties. Um, and uh, yeah, my only my only original version is uh, Empire Strike Back on Laserdisc. I'm afraid. Yeah, it's kind of kind of it's kind of sad. I'm wondering if you know, in another ten fifteen years. Uh, whatever the new medium is, he'll, he'll release them in the 3D editions, and then the non-3D editions, he'll say, those will never be seen again, right? Um, and I don't know, it just irks me when directors do that. You know, you've got different versions. I, at, at the very least, he should do what um, Ridley Scott did with uh, the Blade Runner pack, you know, where you've got the original, that theatrical release with the narration, then you've got his director's cut, and you've got, you know, all these options to choose from, Um you know, I think that's what fans want. I mean, why, why take an artistic stance with Star Wars? <laughs> I mean, yeah. As far as I know, that George Lucas have, have held his big franchise very, very close uh, to his heart, and he's he's always been kind of like a dictator to to you know, about what happens. With it's it. not like he does it with anything else. He hasn't gone right. back and he hasn't fiddled with American Graffiti. Um, he hasn't touched Willow. You know, there's no remaster of Howard the Duck. God knows we need one, right? <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's like he does it intentionally because he knows it's going to tick off a core group. And I don't know, it's just, it's a weird relationship he has. It's obviously someone who is holding too much on, too much to, to what he's created or partly created. And and he refuses to, I think he, he's very much like, this is my franchise, I can do whatever I want with it. Um, he's kind of ignoring what old fans want. And it's almost like he's concentrating on, on getting new fans and keep trying to make new money. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more.
Well, that's going to wrap things up for our show this week. Um, as always, you can keep up with what we're doing over at the website, www.concast.com. You can leave us comments and, you know, follow what I'm doing on Twitter. You can follow Mr. Ma on his Twitter over at uh, the Golden Rock, uh, one word, over at uh, Twitter. You can also find him on his blog and other various uh, writings that he does across the net. Where are some of those places they can find you, sir? You can uh, see some of my reviews of English language films playing in Hong Kong on www.ypmovies, that's one word, uh, .com.hk. As I mentioned earlier this week, I will be reviewing Brooklyn's Finest and Grown Ups. Uh, Also, you can find some of my Asian film writings on Yes in the Yumcha section of YesAsia.com. I am under the pen name Rockman over there. Um, And once in a while, I do write Asian film reviews, um, even though the the vote this week uh, has been telling Kozo to to finish Detective D instead of updating, you will see my review of Frozen sometime on that website, lovehkfilm.com. All right, that sounds good. So next time on episode uh, 44, we'll be talking Reign of Assassins. and Reign of Assassins. Uh, hopefully it's better than uh, Ninja Assassin. Um, (laughs) so we'll be talking about that and whatever else happens between now and then so until we get around to producing that show as always we will wish you good viewing and we will see you next time see you next week everybody You having a party back there? My neighbors. Um, <laughs> I guess they have a party. God. And tell them to start singing karaoke. That'll be pr- providing some good background music for us. Oh, wait till I start playing mahjong. Oh, yeah. We get that here all the time. <laughs> all the... <laughs> mixing the tiles. Yeah. I don't know what to talk about. Good hallway. stuff. I think he thinks he's a Jedi. And he can just, you know, use the Jedi mind trick. <laughs> you will not remember the old version. <laughs> you will only consume the new version. And it's just... <laughs> uh, not yeah. working on me, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if they did an, an initial D sequel, they could sell it very easily in China by just putting a disclaimer at the end that the entire race was a dream. <laughs> or that there's only evil Japanese people who, who, <laughs> who let, you know, who let their yeah. youngsters uh, get away with illegal racing. Road rage. All right, we're going to talk about some spoilers for the film Detective D and the Mystery of the Phantom Flame. So we warn you now, if you have not seen the film or you plan to see the film sometime later in the future, you don't have access to it in the cinema, you're going to have to wait for the DVD, you will want to end your listening at this point because we are going to ruin uh, some of the key plots and points in the film. So please turn back now. Turn back. All right, so I, I want to start off saying I hated the fact that everybody dies except for <laughs> D. Um, you know, except for the Empress, obviously, because, you know, she she's a historical figure. Um, but, I yeah, you know, it's like Lee Bing Bing's character, Deng Kao's character. It's like all these people, they all have their own 
relationships with each other and they're they're at points antagonistic to each other and i was but i really liked that the dynamic that the three of them had and i was hoping that um you know for sequel material they would be sort of like a you know a, a csi team or a mission impossible team or something i wanted to see them work together more and i was just i was kind of disappointed by that um uh, you yeah, know, it, yeah, it opens up. See, yeah. It definitely opens up the the room for more, uh, you know, new, new actors and characters to come forward in potential sequels. But um, especially Lee Bing Bing, I've got a soft spot for her. I would have liked her to stay on. Yeah, I thought it would be awesome for the albino eunuch to be to be uh, Detective Dee Watson. Yeah, um, I didn't like him to begin. I didn't like his character at the beginning, but I, you know, as he. Yeah, it was the same. His, he yeah, yeah. Grows on you. He kind of shows his his better or his more powerful side, and and that he's more of an ally than say an enemy. Along the way, you kind of want to see him kick ass more. And the way he went out, it was an important moment, and it did up the dramatic stakes, as we we'll say in film school. But yeah, you're right. I, I would like to see um, certain sidekick. Well, characters. see his. I mean, I think that Lee Bing Lee Bing Bing scene was fine. Um, it was kind of all of a sudden, you know, from out of nowhere that it happened. But his his scene didn't make sense to me. Because, mm. like, if you remember, D was going through uh, to find him, and he opened the door, and the door was trapped to rip off the, the, the you know, because he had, Deng Hao's character had been captured by mm-hmm. the guys. And so he was rigged up onto this trap. So as soon as Dandy Lore opens the door... Um, his clothing would be ripped off. He'd be exposed to the sun, and he'd he'd burn because he had been po- he had been he'd had the poison, um, which didn't make sense to me. I mean, if they wanted him dead, they had already captured him. Why why set up the trap? You know, why not just kill him? Uh, I think it's one of those things where giving him a more dramatic death, and and he had to be there because of what he reveals um, as he dies. Yeah, and it's uh, like I mean, yeah. if they didn't, they, they wanted to kill him because they don't want him to reveal anything. So they just, kill him right just away. Kill right? him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was you know, it's just a, just a, a minor nitpick in in the narrative, but that you know I, that had me questioning. I think one of the guys in our group said, you know, they did it for the fear effect. Um, yeah, to, yeah, to keep the terror going, and I was like, I, I guess I could buy that. Um, yeah, I could buy it as like a kind of a cinematic uh, thing for pacing and for dramatic effect. Um, but yeah, it definitely is a plot hole. Uh, I, I'm not as mad about everyone dying as I am mad about how the story kind of closed itself from making a sequel because it ended. I think you know, like eternity, like a, it ended like a. And then that happened 20 years later kind of thing. It kind of made it seem too much like an isolated um, story. And I would like to see this, you know, this um, kind of shaky ally between Empress Wu and and Detective D kind of hold up in future future sequels as well. This kind of uneasy friendship, this kind of uneasy alliance, this uneasy boss-employee relationship. That would have been a very strong, dramatic thing to carry through the whole series you know like a like a boss that you love to hate kind yeah. of deal um i know it's kind of disappointed that they kind of closed it off with that really hero-like ending uh, as i wrote in the notes um it's too much you know and as as one of our our, our people in our group says that was kind of big china thing giving it kind of a like hero-like ending um i would like to see trey hart kind of open it even more for a sequel instead of ending it like like he did i have the feeling of if they go the sequel route, it's going to be, you know, 
it, it'll be like it's sort of a Harry Potter kind of thing, you know, Detective D and the the you know the urn of unbreakableness or something. <laughs> but I don't <laughs> think I don't think it's going to deal with uh, the Empress as much. I think he'll be gone off to another province or something, and and you know it'll be a it'll be a more focused story. It'll be maybe less political, mm-hmm. would be my guess. But I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, I, I could see a prequel being made because um, the film kind of starts off uh, seemingly like at the latter end of uh, Detective D's career uh, when he met the Tony Duncan character, who is his old partner. They talk about how you know how he learned Detective D's old habits when investigating a case and things like that. That could be uh, something. Yeah, you know, but to you know, if, if they actor. do that, they're gonna have to get like Sean Yu and Edison Chen. Because they ain't getting any younger. (laughs) Yeah, so I I would like to see a sequel, but I I kind of like the the dynamic between Karina Lau and Andy Lau. Um, Yeah, I mean they're they've always been good together. So you know exactly. So so it would be good to see that, especially when they're kind of at odds with each other, but but you know pretending to not be. That was very interesting to me. That particularly that scene where uh, Detective D is brought to meet the Empress for the first time after he's brought out of jail, and they're smiling but they're speaking. They're kind of threatening each other. That that to me is really great dynamic, and I would like to see more of that if future sequels. Even though Trey Hart didn't really open up for that. Um, also, I thought it was interesting because, and, and I wasn't the only one. We were watching this, and you've got the classic, you know, Richard M playing this somewhat typical role, you know, that that you'd expect to see him in. Only it does, it's not his voice. It's Teddy Robin, and we were all like looking at each other, going, "What? I don't get it." But lo and behold, it ultimately ends up making sense. Um, but you know, it's weird because so much of the so much of the the story is Andy going around as D and sort of debunking the mysticism. But there's still quite a bit of mysticism that actually exists. You know, these transforming things and. This, uh, you know, the, the fire turtles that are actually a kind of beetle that when they're soaked in water, they emit this poison that causes people to combust when they're exposed to the sun. I mean, a lot of it's sort of pseudo fakery science and whatnot and, and based on like martial arts practices and things like that. But that I think it works really well. It, it really created a world that I was very much uh, enjoying. Um, and I really liked the, the very end with D poisoned and forced to go live in in the ghost bazaar and i was just thinking oh this is so hong kong comic book in style you know and it's just leaving you hanging leaving you with that oh you know what's going to happen to him you know and so you know what's his next adventure how how will he get cured will he get cured um so yeah it just just left me loving it and wanting more yeah, I, I love that the mysticism. How how they never try to, you know, the whole film is about debunking this one, one mystical thing. But there's like about a thousand more mystical things going on, like these attacks by the bad guy. Again, the the flying wood in the cave, and and how how they're able to flip around the boat, and you know how they never actually explain what happens. But you're buying it because it looks so great and it works so well. And uh, you don't even you don't even, you don't even worry about how logical it is because it's so fun to watch. And you know I'm totally fine, and that's what I love about the film more than you know than the whole you know the actual procedural stuff is how how it still buys in that whole mist- how it still integrate these these pseudo mystical 
you know, action. And the action is done by um, Sammo Hong. Yeah. And yeah, it's very, very good. Yeah, very well done. And, uh, you know, Teddy Robin. I, 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 wa- I want to see more Teddy Robin. I'm glad he's, you know, coming out of his semi-retirement and I'd, I'd be happy to see more stuff with him in it. 